I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Christopher Thompson. Joining me in the studio today are Laura Noonan, investment banking correspondent, Emma Dunkley, our retail banking guru, and Ben McClanahan, our New York-based U.S. banking editor. This week, we'll be discussing trouble at the top for Barclays, Deutsche Bank's recent successful capital raising and its growth ambitions, and U.S. bank earnings, which kick off on Thursday. Also joining us down the line is Matt Nixon, principal at the Disraeli Group, a consultancy which focuses on leadership and reputation management. This week we'll be discussing trouble at the top for Barclays, Deutsche Bank's successful capital raising and its growth ambitions, and US bank earnings, which kick off on Thursday. Laura, I'll start with you. Jess Staley, the chief executive of Barclays Bank, he's found himself in a spot of trouble, hasn't he? Yeah, this was a very unusual story yesterday morning. So yesterday morning, very early, Barclays announced that their chief executive, who has made a name for himself as being whiter than white and has lauded ethics as being one of his best qualities, that he's actually been investigated by the UK regulators because he attempted to uncover the identity of someone who had anonymously tipped off the bank about a potential issue with a person that the bank had hired. The person the bank had hired was also a friend of Mr Staley's and someone who Mr Staley had worked with previously. So I guess there was two issues. The first was that he had, and he argues that he had inadvertently and accidentally tried to breach the whistleblower confidentiality and also the idea that he was effectively intervening in a way that he shouldn't have to help someone who he had a personal connection to. And Matt, I'm just going to bring you in here. Your consultancy, you deal with these type of issues on a fairly regular basis in terms of reputation management and leadership. Is what Jess Staley did in your view a sackable offence? Well, we don't know enough of the details, really, to give too strong an opinion, but clearly there's a very difficult situation for him. It's not just a presentational problem. It's a very straightforward problem of if you break these rules and you've set yourself up at the top of an organization where the tone at the top is set, you know, the strong view is you would have fired somebody lower down your organization for doing this, potentially, certainly somebody who went back for the second, uh, there's a sort of particular problem with the situation because of the second go-round. That looks really, really bad. But the devil's in the detail always until we know, which we probably won't until the regulatory reports come out, what the real details of the case are. It's quite hard to judge, but it looks very bad on the surface. But it's your view, Matt, that if this was someone lower down the food chain, a managing director, for example, they would probably get the sack. In the current climate, it's hard to argue against that. Certainly, that's the prevailing view, I think, of the industry at the moment, uh, uh, the gossip, if you like. What I think we do need to recognize is that when somebody's the group CEO of a globally significant bank like Barclays, it's not that they have different rules, it's that the context changes a bit. 
So there will be, for those who are making the decisions, initially the Barclays board have clearly chosen to back him. I know they had quite a long meeting about it on Sunday, but the regulators will ultimately weigh in as well. There is a balance here, and they will say, look, you know, the controls worked, it was caught, it was a mistake, it was a bad mistake. There's been a significant punishment in terms of the censure, the embarrassment, and essentially he's been fined through his bonus, being lowered or removed, but net-net firing him and losing his leadership when it's so effective and it's such a critical time in the bank's life is too great a price to pay and the system and the bank can't afford that to happen at the moment. And Emma, that's key, isn't it? You cover retail banking for us. Shareholders are remarkably sanguine about what they think is going to happen. That's true. Although the share price of Barclays took an initial dip, it soon rebounded, which is a signal that investors have faith in Jez Staley and his strategy. Many of them argue that he's come in in 2015 and really clarified and crystallised the strategy for the bank. Prior to his arrival under Anthony Jenkins, there was some concern about the investment banking division's performance and a lack of clarity as to the role it would have in the banking group. But since Jez came into action as chief executive at the end of 2015 and under ring fencing rules in the UK that come into force in 2018, he's really stuck by the investment banking unit and its role within the group and dubbed the bank a transatlantic banking group insofar as it will provide that investment banking service in Europe and the US. I'm also he's given it an identity, hasn't he? He's given it an identity. I also think it's worth pointing out, though, with regards to this debacle, it's the first investigation made public that alleges a breach of the senior manager's regime. Now, these are tough new rules that came into force last year as a sort of regulatory response to the LIBOR scandal and some of the other financial services debacles that really hold senior executives, such as chief execs, accountable for some of the issues that happen on their watch. As a result, the FCA and uh, PRA will be looking into this and he could be vulnerable to a fine or a ban. Laura, what are your thoughts on that? Fine or a ban? I think it's probably a bit early to say on that, but I think one of the interesting points Matt raised was about how effective Jess's leadership so far has been at Barclays. Certainly he's succeeded so far in really galvanising the troops and making them ready for battle. But I think an interesting question is whether his leadership is going to be equally effective in the coming months, whether he has lost the support of some of his colleagues because of the way he is now revealed to have actually behaved and the way he has been getting involved in things that he really oughtn't to have been to protect one of his own friends. So I think I'd be interested to hear Matt's view on whether he will be a similarly effective leader going forward, given that this has the potential to do quite a bit of damage to his own reputation, both internally and externally. Go on then, Matt, tell us, how much has this the potential to damage Jess Staley's brand of leadership? Yeah, it's it's difficult to know yet, but uh, I mean, those who know him personally are very supportive and I think shocked by what's happened, but regard it as, I think you've got to look a bit at the intent and those who are closest suggest to me that the intent was not malevolent, actually. The worry they have, as you would have, is that he's a bit damaged, to say the least, by this internally. And if you stand up now and say to a room full of people, ethics are very important, are they going to query you? I think what he's going to do because of the nature of how he approaches these things, is be very honest about what he thinks he's done and that it's a mistake, that it wasn't the right thing to do. But people are not perfect, and that's the reality. We want to hold people to these standards. You said at the beginning, whiter than white. People aren't whiter than white. They make mistakes. 
Now, they shouldn't make major transgressions that break the codes. One of the questions here will be the Bank of England, the PRA, will say, hang on, Charlotte Hogg the other week essentially had her whole career derailed over a relatively minor slip, ironically slightly related to Barclays through her not declaring her brother. Are we applying these rules or aren't we? So that will be the background question. And Charlotte Hogg, of course, resigned from her role as Deputy Bank of England Governor when it was revealed that she had failed to disclose a potential conflict of interest because her brother was a senior executive at Barclays, even though she was partly responsible for drawing up the BOE's code of conduct. And Matt, six months from now, is Jess Staley still going to be in his job, in your opinion? I think it will depend entirely on what happens with the regulators. Very good. Matt Nixon, thank you very much for joining us on Banking Weekly. And before we move on from Barclays, the bank has had some other difficulties this week, hasn't it, Laura? Yeah, I think it's certainly fair to say that even given the fairly high standards set by recent years, Monday was a particularly bad day for Barclays in a rounded sense because earlier on, before we even got the announcement about Mr Staley, we also got some reports from a new BBC documentary which has uncovered further tapes and those tapes apparently show various Barclays executives talking about how they were actually pressured into lowering the rate which they submitted to the Bank of England to set the LIBOR rate, which is something which is used to price a number of loans in the UK. And basically you had on that tape various Barclays executives admitting that they had lowered the rate artificially and saying this was done on the instruction of the Bank of England. Now, this is arguably more of an issue for the Bank of England than it is for Barclays, actually, because four Barclays bankers are already in jail because of this. Barclays has been hinting all along that they feel they were acting under instructions from the Bank of England. The Bank of England has been very firm in denying this, but certainly it feels like we haven't gotten to the bottom of this yet and it does kind of rake off one of those big scandals which has really done so much damage to Barclays brand. Now, moving on from one banking scandal to a bank which only recently has emerged uh, from a series of scandals, Deutsche Bank, which completed an 8 billion euro capital raise quite successfully and also announced a new strategy in which its chief executive, John Cryan, mentioned the G word, namely growth. How convinced are you, Laura, that Deutsche Bank has what it takes to grow and Do you have confidence now in its balance sheet after the capital raising? Okay, there's a lot of loaded questions and loaded statements in there. I mean, coming back to the very start, yes, Deutsche did have some good news. They managed to raise 8 billion euros from existing investors. They will raise a little more from new investors. That's obviously very positive. It puts them on a much firmer financial footing. I wouldn't go so far as to call their note last week a new strategy. I mean, they have had two big strategic days and they both involved changing their divisional structure, setting big targets in terms of where they want to cut and where they want to grow. What we saw last week was really more of just talking up the growth prospects. So we saw the CEO, John Cryon, who has become known in the bank for sending some fairly gloomy updates, sending probably his first ever upbeat, happy update, talking about how well the capital raise went and also how they saw potential for growth, both in the US, where they have a large business and where the US banking market really has been booming since the surprise election of Donald Trump as the US president. And also he sees, he says he's optimistic about growth markets in Asia and in Europe. So I guess we've always said that for the last couple of years, Deutsche has been very distracted by its internal struggles. And it's hard to really galvanise people to go out fighting for business when you're also fighting for 
for survival. So I think this takes the fight for survival off the table for the time being. It, at least it does free up people to start thinking about growth in a much more concrete way and to start channeling efforts into that. What I will say is just because Deutsche is now feeling more optimistic about growth doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. In the US, yes, the market has obviously been a supportive one recently. There's also a number of large US banks who are trying to get a bigger share of that market. And Ben can certainly talk to how competitive a market it is. Within Europe, there's a lot of uncertainty out there still. You have the various political uncertainty coming from the continent. You also have the terms of Brexit weighing on things as well. So it's a bit early to say that they're definitely going to make it in terms of growth, but certainly they're in a better position now than they were a few months ago. And do you think finally that the legacy issues which have plagued the bank and its share price can be put to bed? Unfortunately for Deutsche, you can never say never. I mean, Deutsche has really amazed in terms of its capacity to continually discover old legacy issues. Now, at some point, that has to come to an end. I don't feel confident that we are there yet. I think there is still the prospect that there could be a number of skeletons still hiding in that closet. And finally, we come to US banks, which are prospering quite nicely, or at least their share prices suggest that they should be, Ben. What do we expect when three of the biggest banks report quarterly earnings later this week? Yeah, it's all go as of Thursday morning with JP Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo. I think Laura said it quite nicely just then. Donald Trump's surprise election victory has really boosted the banks. It's transformed the outlook in three different ways, I think. The share prices are up significantly on hopes of higher interest rates. And we've already seen them. There's been three raises uh, since December 2015. They've all pushed up net interest margins, boosting straight to the bottom line. Uh, There's also the the hopes of tax reform, which have been set back a little bit recently with the uh, the healthcare difficulties that President Trump and his team had. And there's also the age-old story of lighter regulation which, given so many Goldman Sachs appointments to the uh, Treasury and to the White House and to Donald Trump's staff, uh, those hopes seem to be burning very brightly. But right now, what they need or what shareholders are looking for, given the share price rally in the financial sector, is earnings growth to come through. Do you think that'll happen? Well, I think it will. There's a very flattering base. The first quarter of last year, 2016, was terrible. If you think back, we had that simultaneous collapses in uh, in stocks and bonds and commodity prices. We had all the banks uh, panicking about their energy exposures, uh, making um, provisions which, uh, as it turned out, probably weren't needed. And some of them were released later in that year. So that base effect is, is very flattering to whatever they produce uh, in this quarter. But the quarter itself on its own merits was okay. Um, the investment banking divisions of the big banks did pretty well, trading some of those benighted fixed income trading divisions, especially at places like Morgan Stanley would have done much better. And uh, overall, in, in the retail banks, you do have that um, very positive effect from higher interest rates flowing through. Do you expect anything's going to be done on regulation? Because there's some debate, isn't there, as to precisely which parts of deregulating or upending some of the regulation that's been put into place, Dodd-Frank, etc., would help some banks more than others. Yeah, there's so much in Dodd-Frank. It's always a tough conversation to get your head around. But um, there are certain parts of it that can be plucked out or at least supervised and enforced differently by a new set of regulators at the big agencies. And I think that's where um, people are most excited about. A couple of weeks ago, we had the retirement of Dan Torillo at the Fed. He's really been the nemesis for the big banks, insisting all the time on higher capital standards, um, higher liquidity standards. 
higher prudential standards from all sorts of perspectives. So with him out of the way, with a sort of caretaker in place, Jay Powell, who's just moved across from the board, the outlook for capital return is instantly improved, I think. And we may see that in the stress tests, which um, begin uh, in a couple of months. But apart from that, we've got um, sort of strange noises emanating from Gary Cohn, the ex-Goldman Sachs president and chief operating officer, talking about some kind of 21st century Glass-Steagall. That certainly wasn't in the script. And uh, I imagine some of the big bank lobby groups will be cranking up anxiously, wondering what the hell's going on with that. Just lastly, if we are going to see a good set of earnings on Thursday, do you expect then the Trump rally in financials to continue? Well, to some extent, yes, there has been an extraordinary rally. I was looking the other day at Bank of America uh, on November the 8th. It was trading about, what, 17-ish, and, and it peaked at 25 and a half. That's literally a 50% uh, increase in just in a few months. It's come off about 10% since then, as they all have. Valuations are looking a little bit above the median. Normally, the sector trades about 12.8 times trailing earnings. Historically, we're on about 14 now. So either earnings prospects have to improve or share prices come down. I think earnings prospects will improve on the basis of what we see this week and next. Thanks, Ben. And thank you to our guest, Matt Nixon, and our correspondents, Laura Noonan and Emma Dunkley. And thank you for listening to Banking Weekly. For updates, please go to ft.com forward slash banking. We will be back next week.